Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, privileged to be with you this morning. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 1. Going to read some verses from there. And before I do and get into the message this morning, I just want to personally, personally acknowledge our moderator, Brad Willems. Um, his tireless effort and work uh, for this church has been a gift to me personally, but I think for us collectively. And I think it'd be really great. He tried to sneak away, but he's in the back uh, row there. If he, Brad, why don't you stand? And I think we should acknowledge uh, you with a, a hand of thanks for you. Just in case you didn't make it to the AGM tonight. All right, if you got your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 14 to 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, speaking of John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes, be, comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This morning is the last of our both and series. And I want to start off by asking the question, what is God like? When you think of God, what do you think of him? What is he like? Is he the angry God? Is he the God who um, can't wait to punish you for the mistakes that you make? In fact, what you're going through right now, uh, you, you think is punishment from God who, who's angry a lot? Is he the God who's hard to please? The, the lawgiver, he has these rules and these standards. And if you do measure up, you're going to be rewarded well. But if you don't, and who knows what's going to happen to you. But if you don't, and, and, and you know how often you fail. And it, is he that kind of God? Is he the permissive God? Like the father who has rules and, and states them, but never enforces them. So that really you can do whatever you want. And it washes out the same in the end. Is that the kind of God that he is? Or is he the distant God? God is not really there. And as you go through life and you're experiencing difficulty and, and tough times, and he's nowhere to be found. He doesn't seem to answer your prayers and he's absent. Is that the kind of God he is? What is God really like? Apologist uh, Ravi Zacharias, he talks a lot about reasons to believe in God. And people will often come up to him and say, I, I don't believe in God. And Ravi will say, typically, that's very interesting, tell me about the God you don't believe in. And then as they describe that God, Ravi will often have to say, you know what, I don't believe in that God either. See, we need to turn to Scripture, we need to look at Scripture to see what God is really like and have our, have our view shaped by God's word. And what a, what a great place to go this morning to John chapter 1 because we're going to an eyewitness. We're going to one of the apostles, one of the 12. We're going to one who is the inner circle of the three. We're going to the one who is called the disciple that Jesus loved. The one who leaned on his breast. I think he would know a little bit about what God is like if we were to ask John, what do you think of when you think of God? John's answer would be, well, I know because I've seen him. I've been with him because I've been with Jesus. 
And John has written to us, as we read in verse 18 of John chapter 1, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, speaking of Jesus, he has made God known. We've seen God because we were with Jesus. He is the revelation. He's the manifestation of God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And I was there. I'm an eyewitness. I was with him. John 14, uh, verse 114, John uh, had referred to Jesus as the word, and he says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. We were with Jesus, and the way I got to describe him is that he is the glory of God. This is an amazing statement when you consider the history of the Jewish faith uh, it has all kinds of historical freight with it. The word glory in the, in the Old Testament comes from the word kabod, and it refers to a weight. So if you were to take up all that you can think about a person, their abilities, their, their character, their accomplishments, achievements, and you pile it up, you get a certain weight. And so it is with God. He's got an incomparable weight when you pile up who he is, his character, his attributes, his ability, his experience, his wisdom, what he has and will accomplish. It is a crushing weight, as somebody once said, in referring to God's glory. In Exodus, we get a glimpse of, of Moses and his relationship with God. And Moses at one point said, God, please show me your glory. Which is a fascinating statement because Moses has, has been journeying with God. He's seen the burning bush. He has been there at the Red Sea and watched God split the waters so that his people walk through on dry ground. He's been there when God has fed the children of Israel with manna. And yet he says to God, God, show me your glory. Moses knew that there was more to see, more to understand of who God is. And he wanted to know God better and God says to him, okay, Exodus 33, 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So God takes Moses, he hides him in the cleft of the rock and then he passes by him. And he proclaims his name as we read in Exodus 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses, having experienced this, seeing this, hearing this, quickly bows his head and worships. We read at the end of uh, Exodus in chapter 40, after Moses and the people have listened to God's instructions and they've built the tabernacle, which is to be like the dwelling place of God, God's presence, his manifest presence, because God fills the earth, right? But there's this, there's this manifest presence where God shows his glory to his people, his, his splendor, his awesomeness. And as they built the tabernacle, it says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud settled on it. The heaviness was too great. And the glory of the Lord filled 
the tabernacle. So when John says, we've been with Jesus and we've seen the glory of God, this is, this is like the historical freight that goes with it. It's, it's just something so amazing to say. We saw his glory. And connected to that, he says something that is such good news to us. I've asked, what is God like? What do you, what do you think of when you think of God? He could be anything. John has already told us at the beginning of chapter 1 that, that the word, Jesus, made the world. He created the world. He can, he's all powerful. He can speak things into existence. He can be anything he wants to be. Angry, furious. But what does John say? John, who's seen his glory. What is he like, John? Listen to what he says. An eyewitness of all the word choices he could have picked. How's he, how does he describe this glory? Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Grace, let's define it. Something, that, something good that's given to you that you don't deserve. Undeserved. Can't earn it. It's a gift. A gift of goodness to you. Truth, that which is right. That, that which accurately represents things as they are. Which, which is accurately representing reality. Truth, which leads to life, as opposed to falsity, which leads to destruction. Grace and truth. And in a different letter, if it's the same John, he will describe God as love. But here, when he thinks about the glory of God, when he thinks about encountering God through Jesus, as Jesus has displayed him, the words that come to his mind are grace and truth. Its fullness was seen in Jesus. What is God like? Like, what is your honest answer as you came in this morning? What is, what is God like? Well, from this we see, you know your understanding of God is right when your thoughts of him are filled with grace and truth. And then that becomes how you respond to other people in grace and truth. So I'm thinking we must struggle with this view of God just from conversations, from experience, and you probably do too. I know that from what I hear and from what I see about how people outside of Christian faith experience those of us who are Christians. A while back there was a book written unchristian by David Kinnaman and Lyon, uh, Gabe Lyons. And what they did was they interviewed young adults basically from age 16 to 29. And they asked them, you know, what their thoughts were of, the, of those who, who were Christians. And, and three of the main things that came back were not about grace. It was that we are against homosexuality, that we are hypocritical, and that we're judgmental. The perception is we are lacking grace. And I've heard enough stories, people growing up in, in church or their families, where the environment of, of what they were in was all about rule keeping, often about keeping appearances and, and a pride in, in being able to do that so that you look, at least you look good to the outside world, completely missing the heart of what Jesus came to bring us. And I've seen the pendulum swing from truth without grace to grace with little truth. So that it doesn't matter how you live. There's little concern for the outworking of God's character in your life. And some of the words that Jesus used like cost and obedience become dirty words. Grace without truth. A brand of Christian faith where so many things are uncertain. A reflection of our culture where truth is solid as jello. And I've seen young adults re rebel against that brand of faith and swing back, not to away from God, but back to a legalism 
of rules, of do's and don'ts. Swing, swing, swing. But John says that his glimpse of Jesus showing what God is like is both grace and truth. They are not opposites on a pendulum. They're like two strands on a DNA intertwined together, inseparable, simultaneous, not 50% of one and 50% of another, but 100%, 100%. Grace and truth are both and. John 1, 16, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John sets this uh, grace and truth against the backdrop of the Mosaic law. He says that there is something new that has come. Grace upon grace, that, that can be read as grace instead of grace. What he's meaning is the Old Testament, the, the law given there was grace. It was grace to his people. It was given by God so that the people would know how to relate to this holy God. And they would know what was expected of them. This was a grace given to them. And yet we know the story throughout the Old Testament that they continually failed. They, they were unable to keep that law. And it's a cycle after cycle of falling away and being called back and falling away and being called back. Jesus is bringing something better. Grace upon grace. Grace instead of that grace. For the law came by Moses. But what is this grace? Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the word grace appears in John's gospel only in this prologue. And four times he mentions it. And yet he's telling us that Jesus is known by his grace. God is known by his grace and his truth. And I think what John is going to do is that he's going to show us what grace and truth looks like. And that's what we're going to do this morning by looking at the stories that he has recorded. We begin in John chapter 2 and it says there in verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. They have no wine, Jesus. Jesus says to his mom, well, what's that got to do with me? In other words, translation today, that's not my problem. I'm sure he said it very respectfully, but I think he wants to be clear that it's not his problem. You see, when we think of grace, grace is undeserved. Jesus is under no obligation culturally, socially to do something about this. He's not responsible for this wedding. And we know, I don't know if you've been part of a wedding, putting on a wedding, like it's a big deal what goes on there. Like as a family, if you're hosting a wedding, and probably some of you are, I mean, we're coming into summer and people are getting married. And if you're involved in the planning of a wedding, whether bride and groom or parents of, that, of the bride particularly, like you want everything to go well. It's a reflection of you and you want it to be this great celebration and you plan out all the details right to the last minutiae. It's, I think it's the same in every culture, in, in every time period. Like a wedding is a big deal and you want things to go right. Certainly true in, in Jewish society. See, in Jewish, in Jewish society, the importance of hospitality in that culture, it's like magnified many times over. And so a wedding is like a focal point of that. Drunkenness was a disgrace. The story is not condoning that. But wine flowed freely in these celebrations. And, and the thing about a Jewish wedding is it could be much longer than a couple of hours. Like it could be for days. 
having wine for lunch, wine for evening, wine as a nightcap. Like this could go on for days and they've run out of wine. Like you, you need to understand the potential for embarrassment for the family. Shame, shame, shame. It's like people would remember you by that forever. It's like, do you know who the Hildebrands are? No, no. You remember that family? They ran out of wine at that wedding. Oh, yeah. I know who they are. You'd be marked by it. Shame, shame, embarrassment. Well, Jesus' mother knows that Jesus cares. And to the servants, she says, do whatever he says. What is God like? When you think of God, what, what do you think of? Is he this kind of God in this story? Remember, Jesus is revealing God to us. Is he this kind of God? Is he the kind of God that goes to a wedding feast and in that he blesses what's going on there and turns 120 to 160 gallons of water used for purification and turns it into wine because they can celebrate? Is that the kind of God you believe in? Uh, uh, an act of grace. And, and it must have been so amazing for the master of, of the wedding when they brought this wine that Jesus had just turned from water into wine and maybe they poured it in a goblet for him and, you know, they sniffed it and then he rolled it around and then he tasted it. And it's like, wow, this is the best ever. Is that the kind of God you believe in? Abundant, overflowing, the best ever in his grace? what John is presenting to us. The next story, right beside the wedding miracle at Cana, we read this in verse 14. In the temple, Jesus, who had gone there, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. See, the religious people are putting up barriers for people coming and worshiping correctly. They're, they're extorting those that from afar who have to make sacrifices and they're overcharging. They're, they're preventing a barrier of worship and turning God's house of worship into a place of merchandise, a house of trade. And Jesus has an opinion about what is going on. He hates false religion. He hates oppression. And when things aren't right, when things aren't as they should be, he fashions a whip and he overturns the table. Do you have room in your mind for God to be like that? Passionate for the truth. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We skip up to John chapter 4 if you're following me in your Bible and there most of you will be familiar with this story, Jesus and the Samaritan women. It's amazing, all the barriers that Jesus goes through so that he can have a conversation with this woman. Typically, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They, they were opposed to each other. There's a long history about that. And so a, a Jew wanting to go north would go around Samaria, but Jesus purposely goes to Samaria. And he goes there in the midday and there is this woman... Um, men don't talk to women unless it's for the wrong reasons. And she uh, has a reputation. She's had five husbands. This doesn't make you respectable in your community. So she's probably ostracized from the women who would go to the well in the morning. She's there in the midday. Jesus has gone out of his way to meet with her there. 
We sing this song called Reckless Love, and it talks about there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up, no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, the reckless love of God. Now, from our standpoint, it may seem reckless, but from God's standpoint, it really is a deliberate, intentional love. As he goes to the Samaritan woman and Jesus offers her living water, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is grace. This is grace. Jesus says to her, go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, I know. You've had five and the one you're living with right now is not your husband. Jesus speaks truth to her. And later he will speak more truth to her and actually tell her that her, her form of worship is false. That how she's worshiping God isn't right. I mean, you want to offend somebody, you talk to them about their worship and tell them what they're doing is wrong. Maybe you've had that kind of conversation. I mean, that's the hardest place to go. Jesus says the way you're worshiping isn't right. Truth. Grace, seeking her out, no condemnation, offering life, truth, telling her as it is, exposing her need, exposing her error in belief. And no doubt she has experienced truth before from her community, but it's done nothing but brought her shame. And yet here is Jesus because he comes in grace, offering grace, speaks truth to her life. And John shows us that she becomes a great evangelist Changed by this encounter, reaching her city for the Messiah, grace and truth. Of course, there are more stories in the Gospel of John. One that immediately comes to mind is John chapter 8. Another familiar story of a woman caught in adultery. So those who are religious, the legalists, they want to, let's trap Jesus. So they bring her and they throw her in front of Jesus. You know, she's been caught in this adulterous act. Where is the man? I don't know. She's thrown before him. And what would we expect Jesus to do? What would your God do in this situation? Remember, Jesus, John has told us, came to bring grace upon grace. Grace instead of grace. She's committed a sin. The law is very clear about that. Is Jesus now going to condone that? He's going to say that that doesn't matter? No. But Jesus came to do something greater than the law did in the past. There will be a grace upon grace. And Jesus says, he that is without sin, feel free to cast the first stone. You see, the truth is, if you look at the law and you look at relationship with God, we all need grace. We all need what only Jesus can bring. We need his grace. And that's the point of Jesus' words and his writing in the sand. He that is without sin. If you feel you don't need grace, cast the first stone. The most foolish thing that we could think is that we do not need what God has to offer us. That we don't need his grace. That we're all right without what God can bring us. Jesus was hardest, not on those who were struggling with sin, but he was hardest on those who thought they had no struggle. And in that, were self-righteous and prideful. To the woman, he says, I don't condemn you. He gives her grace. But he says to her, go, and from now on, sin no more. Truth. Grace and truth. And throughout John's gospel, he's going to weave this story of Jesus working his way 
and, and, and grace is offered and it's tethered to truth, these two things working simultaneously, grace and truth that only Jesus can give, leading him ultimately, the big part of John's story is that this, this fullness of God is taking Jesus to the cross. And so he's accused falsely and he's brought before Pilate, the governor, who asks him, so you are a king? And Jesus answers, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. John's biggest story is about Jesus proclaiming truth and the, being the embodiment of truth. But as he does that, it takes him to a place of laying his life down so that the ultimate grace could become available to every person who will believe in him. That God would take upon himself all the judgment that would be due to us and stand in our place so that anyone who believes in him could be free. We read that in John chapter 3. John has already sort of given us that picture in the verse that almost every Christian knows by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Such grace. This is a promise not just for the future, although it is for the future, that God has this eternal life for us. It's also a promise for the present that we can experience this life eternal in the now, that we can experience forgiveness, we can experience freedom, we can experience a cleansing, we can experience a relationship with God that would not have been possible. We can experience his grace in, in the, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live under the rulership, under the kingship of Jesus. All this is given to us as grace, 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 grace upon grace, free, undeserved. You can't earn this. Don't try. You may think, you're, oh, I, can, I can look a little better than the next person. You can always find someone who's a little worse in their behavior than you. That's not, that's not the point. The point is, our, our falling short of God's glory is so great that he had to come and he had to die so that he could give us grace. Grace. Whoever believes shall have eternal life. The accompanying truth that goes with us, we read following John 3.30, in John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's the grace. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him, truth. It, it, it's an echo of Exodus, the verses we read there. The Lord, the Lord, merciful, gracious, forgiving iniquity and sin and transgression, but he will by no, no means clear the guilty. How can we be cleared of our guilt? Grace, through the cross of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us there, and his resurrection, that we would believe in him, be freely forgiven, filled with his spirit, and walk under his kingship, experiencing life in the now, and fully in the future, grace and truth. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace and truth, our relationship with him begins in that and needs to continue that way. Our right vision of God will be saturated with grace and truth. James MacDonald in his book Vertical Church writes this. We are all either grace or truth people by nature and greatly in need of this powerful pairing. 
Churches tend to align themselves with one to the neglect of the other. Truth-focused churches stand strong and hold lines and demand conformity to the letter, but can end up fulfilling the prediction of Paul that those who bite and devour each other end up consuming each other. There's no glory in that. Grace-focused churches delight in the God of second chances, but can slip quickly into the superficial, smiley world where you can't say sin, even if you step in it and act like marketing Jesus is the best way to serve him. There's no glory in that. The glory of Jesus is that he was full of grace and truth, both existing fully without diminishing the other, and it's the combination that manifests glory in your church, not one to the exclusion of the other. The reason so many churches are mired in mediocrity is that the glory descends only as the fullness of Jesus as seen in grace and truth. Knowing, experiencing, receiving God's grace and his unshakable truth is pivotal to us walking out in a right relationship with God and then seeing his glory fill us and flow through us to each other and to the world. And as we do that, glory will be seen. So we get a right view of God. We see him as full of grace and truth that's going to impact ourselves. It's going to impact how we relate to one another. It's going to impact how we relate to the world, our culture. So let me finish just be, by just touching on those three things. I'm going to begin at the end there with the world. See, our culture will not hear truth if it's not clothed in grace. If we don't come into conversation where there's different opinions of truth, if we don't come into that conversation with grace, we will never have an ear. We need to come with grace. And the reality is, though, no matter how gracious we are, the truth that we speak will sometimes be rejected, but let it not be because we are not gracious. Our world right now need, needs to hear the truth around sexuality, what God's word says about the flourishing of, of individuals and marriages and society and families. Scripture has a view that will cause society to flourish. We, we can't become silent with our voice in that arena. The world needs to hear it, but it won't be accepted by all. But we need to bring it with grace, not compromising the truth. There'll always be something in which we need to engage our culture, our world, in that way. Relationships with each other. Can we be gracious? Imagine you're, you're, you're in an environment where we're all just gracious to one another. We're not judging one another. We're not quick to judge. But we're quick to forgive. We're quick to look, look for ways to mend our fences. We're very difficult to offend. We live in a gracious world giving grace to one another. And with that, we couple it with truth. When Paul wrote to the, the Romans in his letter in chapter 15, verse 14, he said, I'm confident of you that you will be able to instruct one another, or, or what that word is often translated as, is you'll be able to admonish one another. In other words, you'll, you'll be mature enough to, to have, have the ability to graciously enter into conversation where you push one another along in your relationship with God, and you're willing to say, you know what, this might be a better way, or, or that might be a better way, or brother, have you considered this, how this might be hurting you, that we're willing to enter into difficult conversations for that to happen, coupled with grace, grace and truth. I have personally benefited from people who have spoken into my life with that combination. I've been thinking a lot about my mother recently, and, 
And I recall a very pivotal point in my life when I was in my early 20s and I was dating this girl. And, um, you know, it was, uh, there was a lot of good things I liked about the relationship, but there were some things that um, maybe weren't so good. And, and my mom came to me one day and I, I knew that this was very difficult for her. I mean, you don't want to be, you know, I'm, I'm in my 20s. You don't want to be talking to your son like this. But she just said, I just have to tell you, um, I see some things in this relationship that you're in. And, and I, I just got to tell you this. She was very truthful with me with what she saw. Little did she know that I was beginning to have some troubling thoughts in my own mind and wondering what I should do. And the fact that she was willing to be courageous and step into the conversation empowered me to make a good decision that whereby we broke off that relationship. And a few months later, because the door was now open, um, it would open the door for me to enter into a right relationship with the right person who would become my wife and, and, and have this amazing impact in my life and, and that we could do life together as a partner. It was because she was willing to live in grace and truth. Are we willing to do that with one another in our families, in our church family? Well, it's only gonna happen as we receive God's grace in and ourselves first. When we see him rightly, glorious, full of grace and truth, and we see that as not just for other people, but for ourselves, and we, we know it and we receive it then we can begin to live it out with others. And I know in conversation with people, sometimes it's so hard to receive God's grace for ourselves. You, you know the things that you've done. You know how you've messed up. And it's so easy to beat yourself up and beat yourself up till you think you've beat yourself up enough. That is not the gospel. That is not the grace that God has for you. Can you receive the fact that what he's done on the cross is big enough for all your mistakes, for all your sins, and always will be? And what he's done for you isn't just about forgiveness. It goes beyond that. That what he's done through his death and resurrection also makes a way for you to be empowered by his spirit. That you can live in victory in places where maybe you haven't in the past. Can you receive his grace? Can you receive his truth? You know, the, the Bible tells us that a good, good father disciplines his children. It tells, that, tells us that in Hebrews 12. God loves us, and because of that, he will discipline his children. He will, he will bring us up with truth and show us where we need to be corrected, where we need to alter how we think, how we, how we act. God will do that because he loves us. Jesus says so much in, in, in um, Revelation in the, in the, when, when Jesus comes and he talks to the seven churches, the last one, the Laodicean church, which needs a ton of correction. Jesus corrects them, not because he doesn't love the church, but because he does. And he wants them to get it right so that their relationship can be right. And so he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Do you have room for a God like that? Can you receive his grace? Can you receive his truth so that he can take you where he wants to take you in a relationship with him that is full of glory and spills out from your life into your relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, but also to the world. We have seen his glory, John said, full of grace and truth. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have not left us to guess what you are like. I thank you that you gave us Jesus I thank you for what he shows us about you. 
And I thank you, Lord, that you are not absent, although Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to your right hand, Lord, that you sent your Holy Spirit. You have not left us as orphans, Lord. You are not the distant God. You are with us, in us. And Lord, you are full of grace and truth. And so, Lord, I know that we can expect to receive that from you day by day by day. Not just for that point, Lord, where we received you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, but to live for you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, would you fill our hearts today with your grace? Would you fill our hearts today with your truth for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.